It's September 2001. Julie and I had just gotten married. Julie was in the first week of her graduate studies while I was still working as an engineer. Like many newlyweds, our plans were to be married for a few years before starting a family allowing Julia to finish her studies and build a career. On this particular day, I'm busy in the basement on the computer, and I hear Julia shout from the bathroom upstairs, Ah! And so I run upstairs. I find her in the bathroom and ask, What's wrong? It's a blue line. What does that mean? I'm pregnant. That very moment, we found out we were pregnant with Ashley and our lives changed forever. It's unexpected, but the moment changed our timeline and the trajectory of our marriage. As a married couple, there was life before the blue line, all 30 days of it, and life after the blue line. The arrival of Jesus is kind of like that in the storyline of human history. We've been walking through the God Story, Our Story sermon series, and we've followed the storyline of God's people through the Old Testament and how Christ has been revealed through their story. Here's a quick review for you. We started hearing how the living God is the creator of all things, yet the goodness of created order was marred by sin. And since then, humanity cannot shake this propensity to fall away from trusting God. Even when God rescues them from slavery, he gives them a playbook to live in right relationship with him and with others. He leads them to the promised land and even gives them kings to lead them. Israel, God's people, will not and cannot trust him and his ways because they find constantly that they are trusting themselves or other things that they see around them. As we heard last time, their turning from God showed up in tremendous injustices in their society. Today, we hear how after centuries of silence, God shows up. Jesus is finally revealed in the storyline. Jesus' arrival indicates that nothing will be the same again. There's a clear before and a clear after. His arrival changes history forever and the trajectory of the story of Scripture. In today's message, we will look at how Jesus' arrival upends expectations of the Jews and even the whole world. So important is Christ's arrival that many Christian thinkers consider it the greatest miracle of all, even more so than the resurrection. C.S. Lewis, the eminent Christian thinker, says that Jesus' arrival, quote, illuminates and orders all other phenomena, explains both our laughter and our logic and our fear of the dead, close quote. Throughout history, people have this innate desire to connect with the divine, something beyond themselves. And the questions that have dogged humanity for ages have been, what does the divine look like and how do you really know? Well, when Jesus shows up, we find the divine comes to us. And when God shows up, we find he embodies, one, true relationship, and two, true beauty. In today's text that we heard, we hear that Apostle John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, described the arrival of Jesus in our world, what theologians call the Incarnation, from the Latin, incarnate, not chili con carne, 
but Deus incarnate, God in the flesh. Or as other Christians have aptly described, God with skin on. Catholic theologian Ronald Roheiser says in his book, The Holy Longing, he reflects on the incarnation. Open quote, God is everywhere, people say. A God who is everywhere is just as easily nowhere. Close quote. Rollheiser here talks about the need for a God who has skin that is physically real and touchable. Recall the setting of how God arrives in the flesh. Israel needs rescuing. No longer under Egyptian, Babylonian, or Assyrian captivity, but now it was far worse. It was now the Roman Empire. Jesus is the Greek name for Joshua. He shows up on the scene. His name means God saves, and he bears the same name as the military leader who Israel led Israel into the promised land the first time around many generations ago. Was this going to be a repeat performance? But he rescues and leads in a different way, not with military might or political heft with millions of dollars in the campaign coffers and an army of staffers to watch the media, to watch the polls and crunch big data. In fact, he seems to eschew all that attention. He isn't born into a high-flying echelon of society with wealth and power inherited from his parents. He's born into a simple carpenter's family. Mom and dad didn't have any health care, so he was born in the garage of an Airbnb host. During his time on earth, religious leaders are frustrated that he comes to deliver people, not from Roman oppressors though, but from their ailments and sickness. And when he teaches, people are drawn in by his stories. Religious leaders get angry when he talks more about love controlling our lives than following the ancient law and religious rules. He talks about how we are to love our enemies instead of driving them out as the Israelites did to their neighbors in the promised land. Even more, Jesus forgives sin. And every good Jew knew that only God could do that. God with skin on looks and acts far differently than the people of Israel expected him to. He comes to show us what true relationship and beauty look like. Last year, the ABC program Good Morning America aired a story of Gracie and Audrey, two young girls who were adopted from China at birth by two separate American families. Unbeknownst to both of their families until some Facebook sleuthing by one of the moms, they found out their, their girls were actually twin sisters. So see this emotional reunion as they meet each other for the very first time. You can search it on YouTube. As we watch this emotional reunion of two girls who meet each other for the very first time, they describe it as an overwhelming sense of joy and love. And a year later, Gracie reflects about her new relationship with her twin sister, Audrey. She says, I'm not sure how to explain it. Getting to have her is like having another part of me. Jesus comes as God in the flesh to restore the most fundamental relationship in the universe. Where all humanity would otherwise be excluded because of our sin and brokenness, Jesus comes to reunite us in a relationship with the living God. 
Gracie's profound statement about their reunion might describe how Jesus' arrival is like getting to have another part of our humanity. His arrival is getting to have another part of us filled. Augustine, the 4th century church father, commented on the arrival of Christ. God became human so that humans could become again, in reality, human. So Jesus' arrival marks the possibility of how we can become complete again in what John describes as becoming children of God. But not everyone would be open to this relationship. In John 1, 10, and 11, as we heard earlier, John says this, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him. John tells us that Jesus came to his own, in verse 11, referring to those who should have recognized him, law-abiding Jews, but they turn out to reject him. We see glimpses of how Jesus lives out his own relationship with God the Father during his time here on earth. Though some Israelites reject him, he forms a new family, not by marrying into some rich and powerful family. In fact, He never marries. Some of his new family members become his cabinet members, but not because they're the most qualified. He gathers 12 men around himself, some of whom would be sworn enemies otherwise. Amongst this new family, there was a fisherman, a tax collector on the payroll of their Roman oppressors, a militant revolutionary who hated Rome and their tax collectors, and a bunch of other no-names. Jesus forms a new community of inclusion. Men and women are valued and heard. Rich and poor sit next to one another. Those ostracized because of their disabilities, destined for exclusion, are healed and welcomed back into relationship. When God shows up, we find that people are welcomed into relationship. And so are we. In verse 12, we hear John say, Yet to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John opens verse 12 with, To all who receive him. The act of receiving him is not making sure you come from the right bloodlines, for who can ensure that for themselves anyways? Receiving him is not working up your emotions, It's not determining in your will that you're going to make it work. It's not rousing yourself up in spiritual fervor. It's simply to receive Jesus as he is. And we're told to receive and to believe. And to believe in his name is to believe in his person, in his reality, that he is who he says he is, and he does what he says he does. To believe is to entrust oneself over to that person. We entrust ourselves to relationships in many other parts of our lives. When you sign up for a credit card, you are trusting that the card company is going to pay the retailer and the card company is trusting you to pay them back. And because of that trust, you don't have the stress of wondering if your groceries are going to get paid for. When you sign a lease, you are trusting the landlord is going to keep your home functioning and not charge you indiscriminately, at least hopefully. You don't have the stress of wondering how much you have to pay for a roof over your head for the length of the lease. 
Your trust in these relationships enables you to not have to think and doubt them at every interaction. So simply receiving and believing in Jesus is all that is required to experience this new relationship with the living God. This relationship that sets us free from doubt about whether we are accepted or not. When God shows up in the person of Jesus, Israel doesn't get a political or military leader. They didn't even get a respected teacher with PhDs and peer-reviewed publications. What they got was a roaming traveler who healed and welcomed people and taught in a way that caused people who would listen to be restored. So to follow Jesus is to imitate that relationship. At last week's WCF retreat, one word stood out to me that defines who we are. Family. We are a family joined by a common experience of receiving and believing in Jesus as God in the flesh. Because we have been made children of God through faith in Christ, we have become a specific incarnation of God's family here in this time and in this place. And in this particular part of God's family, take a look around. We'll see different ages, different skin colors, people who work different jobs, and people who live in different neighborhoods. And amongst us are people with different values and reflect different Christian traditions. Yet we have become a family embodying the care and generosity of Christ. And that's the beautiful thing about WCF. We don't get hung up on where you are at on this journey of belief in Christ, but anyone who is on this journey is welcome. You know, Jesus' arrival marks how all humanity can be restored in true relationship with the living God. But his arrival and activity also model to us how we are to live out restored relationships with others. And it starts here, amongst us. In the service, we often reach across the aisles and greet one another. But it can go further than that. We reach across the aisles and hear each other's stories. Maybe not in the service here, but maybe after the service. In homes or in small groups. We reach out also beyond this particular community to our neighbors, our work neighbors, our home neighbors, and we listen to their stories. But that's just the start. It's listening to the stories to the degree that we can enter into their stories. And so when we enter in and there is brokenness, we enter in to bring care and love and restoration. Where there is grief and sorrow, we enter in to bring comfort and help. All as Jesus did for us in his arrival. Jesus comes as God in the flesh to show us true life-giving relationship. But he also comes to show us true beauty. In verse 14, we see John describe the arrival of Jesus as God making his home with us. And when God makes his home with us, we see him full of glory. What is translated, quote, dwelt among us or dwelling amongst us, means more literally, pitched his tent in the Greek. It's an allusion to God's dwelling among the Israelites in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. In the past, God manifested his presence to his people in the tabernacle and the temple. 
Now, though, God takes up residence amongst his people in the incarnate word that is Jesus Christ. So what is this glory that's dwelling amongst us? We hear about glory, we sing about glory, we even make movies and call them glory, but what exactly is glory? In America, the word glory historically conjures up images of military conquest, strength, and victory. But we don't get that's the sense of what John is describing here when Jesus arrives full of glory. So try this. I want all of you to imagine or recall in your memory what's the most beautiful memory you can think of. Take a moment right now, close your eyes if you need to, and recall it. You know, it's those images that have been indelibly imprinted on your memory that a picture can never do justice to. Maybe for you, it's the colors of the sky as the sun sets on the horizon, the craftsmanship of an ornately designed piece of art, a sea of voices singing a chorus in surround sound, or maybe it's the intense warmth found in the embrace of a loved one. You got something that you're recalling now? Now, imagine every one of our memories being shared with one another and experienced all at once in real life right now in this room. How might you describe that? Overwhelming? Brilliant? Intense? I think God's glory is kind of like that, except infinitely and most excellently so. And God's glory arriving in Jesus is a revealing of the beauty of God as clear as it has ever been revealed in history. Jonathan Edwards, an 18th century American pastor, reflects on the glory of God. He says, For as God is infinitely the greatest being, so Jesus is. Infinitely the most beautiful and excellent. All the beauty to be found throughout the whole creation is but a reflection of the diffused beams of that being who hath an infinite fullness of brightness and glory. God is the foundation of all being and all beauty. What Edwards says so eloquently is that everything we find beautiful and inspiring in our lives is merely a pointer to the most beautiful being in the universe. And yet beauty itself arrives in the person of Jesus. Beauty and glory arise and sets up home in our midst. For the Israelites, their idea of glory was the presence of God arriving in their temple, in their land to make Israel great again. For Israel, glorious beauty was the beauty of their nation on display for the world to see. But Jesus arrives and does nothing of the sort. The greatness and glory for God's people had nothing to do with their status and respect before other nations. The beauty and glory of God's people was simply to be in right relationship with the most beautiful and glorious being in the universe, with the living God. And it's out of this relationship that flows beauty and glory for the world to see. My dad sent me this photo last week. It's a photo of the cherry blossom trees changing color in our neighborhood in Vancouver, Canada. 
Every year in the spring and fall, social, my social media feeds are full of people endangering their lives to capture the perfect shot because they're always standing in the middle of the street. But I can only tell you so much about them. I can only show you so many photos. You have to see it in person to experience it. And since we've arrived here in DC, we've been told about the beautiful fall colors here too. I've seen pictures of them, and I can listen to you describe the best places to view them, but I imagine that nothing will match the reality of seeing them in person. Here's a fun geek out fact I learned this week. Did you know that the fall colors are the true colors of the leaves? Chlorophyll is the green pigmentation that makes leaves green. So during the warmer season, when there's more sun, the leaves produce excess chlorophyll to process energy from the sun. But when fall arrives and the, sun, the time in the sun lessens, that's when we begin to see the true color of the leaves. And that's when we begin to relish the beauty of their true colors. I think that when Jesus arrives, that's when we can relish the beauty of the true and living God. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Weight of Glory, on this longing for true beauty and the glory of God. He says this, The sense that in this universe we are treated as strangers, longing to be acknowledged, to meet with some response, to bridge some chasm that yawns between us and reality, is part of our inconsolable secret. And surely, from this point of view, the promise of glory in the sense described becomes highly relevant to our deep desire. For glory means good report with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things. The door on which we have been knocking all our lives will open at last. You know, our longing for beauty our delight in what beauty we experience here on earth is but a hint of the true beauty we are designed to enjoy in the living God. We are wired to enjoy a relationship with the most glorious, the most luminous, and the most beautiful being in the universe, the living God. And out of that relationship, we are invited to bear that luminosity of God in the world we live in. Unfortunately, we cannot help but turn away from the living God because of our doubt and idolatry. Since Adam and Eve, all through God's chosen people, we, sh we see how we have been unable to overcome this tendency to cloud over God's beauty in us. So Jesus comes to restore this relationship and restore this true beauty in us by bearing our sin and brokenness upon himself as we'll hear in two weeks' time as we look to Christ's crucifixion. So allow me to close with Augustine's reflection on the Incarnation. Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, 
that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, and that life may die. Are you longing for relationship? The relationship that matters most has come to us in Christ. Are you longing for beauty? The one who defines beauty because he is beauty personified has come in Christ. So will you receive him? Will you believe in him? And for some of you here today, your answer might be, yes, I want to. For the first time or for the first time where you understand it in all its fullness. If that's you, I'm going to lead in a prayer in a few moments and invite you to take a first step by receiving communion. And for many of us here, I'm not just saying, have you ever received or have you ever believed in Jesus? But will you continue to receive and will you continue to believe in him? I invite you as we come to the communion table that you would say yes to Jesus as the source and inspiration for true relationship and true beauty in your lives. Amen.